So the point last week that we were talking about, the point, one of the points that I was trying to make as we were talking about it was that, that we, are, um, we are disciple makers, and we have all been discipled um, badly in a lot of cases. Um, sometimes as disciple makers, we're, we're bad at being disciple makers. Um, come on in and fill in these, fill in the tables that we got. Um, but it's not, it's kind of like when I teach on theology, the truth is everyone's a theologian. Some are just, they just stink at it. Um, and so in the same way, you're discipling people around you and you have been discipled. And that's why I asked that first question, who introduced you to pornography and when? Because whether they intended to be or not, and hopefully they weren't intending to be, that's called grooming, not, not uh, whatever. But, but if they were intending to be, uh, that's disciple making. They were making you a disciple. And so um, they, you're teaching you to follow things. Are you getting those doors? Are you grabbing those doors for me? Could you? Thank you. We're good. Thank you. Um, and so uh, that's an example. And there's hundreds of examples. And so last week we just gave a few of when you knew someone saw you differently when, that, when they communicated that to you, how, they, how that was the, the case. And so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to here. So we got the same four key passages. Um, and I've, I've now, I had it already written, but I've now kind of rewritten it. And um, so our, here's how we're going to define discipleship at South Spring. Discipleship is the intentional process of influencing someone to become more like you in some way or ways that you are more like Christ. Um, this is stolen straight. This is, I'm admitting that, that that's plagiarized from Scripture. Matthew 10, I'm taking four verses and really combining those into that. Matthew 10, 25 says, It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and for the servant like his master. It's a very cool thing to be a disciple maker. It, is, it, it honestly, guys, outside of military, which I, I have not gotten to experience, it, it really is, I assume, one of the most powerful feelings ever um, that you could say that I have disciples. And, and I know we're a little, can be a little creeped out using that terminology like it's somehow about us. It's never about us, but that doesn't make us not a key part of the process. Um, I think sometimes evangelical Christianity, we're so afraid of, of thinking that it's about us that we forget that God is, is pretty strongly about us and our involvement. A whole, if you've read the Bible, a whole lot of it is about stuff we're supposed to be doing. Um, and so that's, I think that's significant. So it, it, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. I got another experience of that today when uh, a lot of you guys know Lewis Swan who, who runs uh, site.org uh, and he just got kind of a panicked text saying, man, we, we had somebody who um, usually donates a certain amount of money every, you know, every quarter and he called me at the last minute and said, I cannot do it and that represented 60 eye surgeries that weren't going to happen. Um, cost about $4,000 to do 60 eye surgeries in Africa. I immediately was like, I maybe I've spotted the problem with our medical, like our, our healthcare issues in America. He, that's one eye surgery in America. And he was, he's like, yeah, that's, it costs, we can do 60 for that price in Africa. But um, by the same, a lot of the same doctors, they go over there. And, but, um, and so I just randomly pulled like 10 names off the top of my head and sent an email to 10 guys and said, any of you want to cover this four grand? And uh, I just got the last email a few minutes ago. It's now covered. That's a power, that, that feels powerful in a healthy way to say, I just, 
when I first came to this church, um, and we just said we were going to go to Israel, and I wanted Rebecca to go in 2012, and I sent out an email to like six couples and said, hey, I'd like to send Rebecca to Israel. It's going to cost about $3,500. And uh, it was really fun because about three hours later, one of them who had just, had just got the email sent me an email saying, let's, let's, instead of doing just six couples, let's do, let's do like 60 couples, and let's do a certain amount each. And I was like, that's a great idea. Unfortunately, all the money has already come in from those six, the other five couples, and so she's set, like she's going. The, the, the fact that there are so many people devoted to her, and that all I feel like, and I feel this way a lot at this church, like all I've got to do is kind of release the leash a little bit, almost like direct, hey, you know what, spend some energy this direction, and the men of this church will do it. Um, we've talked many times about how generous this church is, and, uh, and how that's some, one of the powerful things about this church we want to be like our teacher and the servant like his master. And we are not the ultimate shepherd. We're the under shepherd. We're not the ultimate teacher. We are the under teacher. Um, we aren't the ultimate master, obviously. We're the under instructor. But we have a key role. Look at these. So 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. This, is, this is the Apostle Paul. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, again, that could be uncomfortable, and it probably was for some of Paul's people sitting around going, wow, you kind of have a high opinion of yourself, don't you? You think people ought to follow you? But Paul makes it clear, well, yeah, to the degree I follow Christ, you should. If I'm following Christ, you should be following me in that way. That's why it's capable that any of us who are following Christ have the capacity and capability of being disciple makers. And it's also why all of us have the need to be disciples, because we all have areas that we need to grow nearer to Christ, and finding another man who can show us how to do that is the key. And if you've been a Christian very long, surely God has taught you something. And now you can pass that along to others, which is what, in fact, what the next passage, 2 Timothy 2, 2 says. Paul says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I am completely committed to the belief that this is the only healthy form of church growth. A lot of the struggle that we see of needing 80-something people a week to work with children. Um, that Before we, we sat down with Rebecca, and I, I really feel like I failed. Uh, this, this is on me. Uh, me and the leadership board at that time called the CMT, but we made the decision. We, we went to Rebecca and said, what do we need to go to two services? And she said, 270 volunteers. And at 220 volunteers, we went back to Rebecca and said, we really need to go to two services. Can you do it? And her answer probably should have been, no, I told you 270. But being Rebecca, she said, I'll figure it out. And so maybe the mistake was, actually was talking with Paul McKenzie the day, like, maybe we just need to put out there, listen, by January 1st, if we don't have 270 people, we're going back to one service at 9 o'clock. That's what we just need to do. And maybe we need to. That's not meant to be a threat. It's like we need healthy growth, and unhealthy growth is devastating on a church. And so 400% growth in five years is a lot to deal with as far as attendance. And by the way, in the same amount of time, so we grew 100% since we went to two services. We had 220 volunteers, a certain number of people. We now have twice as many people coming on a Sunday morning. Anybody want to guess at how many volunteers we have? 220. So that's a problem. But we, we need to say, we need to be growing this way by people pouring into other people. Ministers ministering to others who become ministers. 
who then pour into others. That's what we, I think that's, I really do think that's the only truly healthy way churches grow is through discipleship. And so I, I actually feel like we're behind the ball on this sum. Now, here's what's cool to me is I know discipleship is happening. And, and as we're going to talk about, that's why discipleship here will be discussed as a culture, not a program. Um, it's not an event-driven thing. We're not going to say like, hey, and we're going to schedule a, a you know, a two o'clock to four o'clock discipleship three times a year. That, that, that would not be discipleship. That wouldn't, that wouldn't even be church. It'd just be an event. We can't really program it. Um, it's something communicated, but it has to be lived out. And it can only be lived out by the individuals. And in this case, the ones in the room, the men who would say, I'll, I'll take on a disciple or two or 12. I don't recommend more than 12. That seems arrogant, but 12's not bad. Um, Acts 4.13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. So again, any of us, whether you're educated or not, whether you're exceptional or common, when you're starting with the idea that Peter and John were common, uneducated men, the end of that verse says, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They were disciples, and so they were easy to spot. They looked like, they acted like, they talked like, they moved like, they spoke like, they did whatever like their, their rabbi had. <coughs> so, uh, here's a question for you to discuss at your table, and I'm going to get y'all's three-person table to spread into the rest. Um, what is one way that you are like someone else who discipled you? So again, remember, maybe they didn't follow the definition of being intentional. It can be something simple. Um, the example I use all the time is that I like Butterfinger candy bars. I don't know if they're any good or not. I would have absolutely no ability to test how good they actually are. But that's what my dad always got. When we stopped at the gas station, that's what he got. Dad got the best, therefore Butterfingers are the best. I have no idea whether they are. I would have no ability to even evaluate that. Um... So to, in my mind, that's an example of something that it, it may be the way you study Scripture. It may be the way you look at something. maybe the way you tell stories. I'll, I'll tell another one on myself in a minute. But So what's a way that you're like somebody else who apparently discipled you? Because that's what discipleship is, is for the student to become like their teacher. Good? All righty. Talk amongst yourselves. That's a good question. Y'all come join in with the others. All right. Get some good stuff. What are some good uh, What are some good examples of something that you is true about you, or you learned, or that you picked up on, or whatever, because of someone who discipled you, whether they meant to or not? I'll tell you. I'll, I'll let you think, but I want you to answer here in a second. But. One of the things we've spotted, so for example, dads is one of the things as dads, those of us who are dads, is a big, big part of it, right? I mean, we're, when we do, um, when I do post-abortion healing counseling, one of the things that <clears throat> we ask the women is, what are your intuitive understandings of God? That's one of the questions. We ask that in session one. And about session five, you ask them to describe their dad, their, their, uh, their father figure, whoever that happens. And boy, sometimes they use the exact same language and they don't see it at all. I mean, one of the things, how we see God is largely how we were discipled to see God, mostly by our own fathers. So that's, that can be significant until we learn otherwise. So what's, what are some examples? What's something that you said 
This is something that I realize is about me because of somebody else. Great example. Good example. Yeah. What else? Just my coach in high school. Uh, he was the coach, but he was also the head of the Christian Fellowship Christian Athletes. So, one aspect you're getting drilled on the team, learning respect. You better mm-hmm. say yes, sir, no, sir. But then you're being mentored by him at the same time. He's, he's taught the word, and it's it's stuck with me that respect level that I've give back and it has stayed with me uh, but at the same time seeing that you know my dad was a hard working guy but he we didn't we didn't leave a circle in the church so we're kin right and so I didn't have that at home okay him of talking about the Lord yeah even when we started going to church it just it just it just didn't happen okay so a coach who talked about God did that kind of stuff so, that's a good example. What else? What's another example or two? There's a guy that I, I worked with for five or six years that we, part of our job was training animals. <coughs> and on the side, this man also trained dogs. And so I did a lot of training with him. And I realized that over the course of my life now, as I'm a father, as I train people to work, it's very similar ideology about rewarding good behavior and ignoring bad behavior. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So it's animal training, which, by the way, I will tell you for years, I grew up with men who trained dogs and animals and all kinds of stuff, too. So there's more than a little crossover between parenting and good dog training. I'll tell you, that was a pretty much they're kind of puppies until they're about five. As my, I really do agree with that. It's amazing how similar that became one of my predictive skills was I could I, and it was very accurate. My, the way. I could tell based on the way my like college age friends and post college age and young married couples, I could tell a lot. I predicted I would predict their parenting based on their dogs, and uh, I think I was pretty accurate most of the time. It's, it is amazing how accurate. So good, yeah. That those are some good examples. I will tell you one of the things early on, uh, Miss Pat, who was my Sunday school teacher, Miss Pat Livingston, at, uh, at I, you know a church I that I sometimes complain about. She was my Sunday school teacher when I was a kid, though, and Miss Pat loved Bible stories. And we went, I mean, that's what we did in Sunday school for the time I was six till I was 14, is we would go and she would tell us a Bible story. And sometimes she had a flannel graph and that kind of stuff. But I mean, it, that's all it was. There was never anything except it was one Bible story or another. That I was in seminary before I knew that people in those stories were sometimes the same people. Like that, that the same Jacob who is here is also the same Jacob who later has another situation or, or that this Joseph, the Joseph of coat of many colors was the same guy who is predicting things for Pharaoh. I had no idea. I just assumed there was two or three Josephs in the Bible and two or three Jacobs and a whole bunch of Abrahams. And, and like, I just, I thought those were all, because each Tory was taught to me that way. But I still, I mean, one of the things I love about going to Israel is that, is that idea. One of the things I love about teaching is that's why some I don't, I don't give historical information or context because I just think it's interesting. I want you to be able to see it. Like I want you to be able to experience the story or the, the Bible account we're talking about. And that, that came from Miss Pat. Um, 
Okay, so here's, here's another direction for you. Um, I want us to look at some passages. So if you've got your Bible handy, you may have to read them. So I've got, let me get these two tables here. Let me get you to jump into one of the tables. Don, you two, jump into one of the tables somewhere. So if you've got an opening at your table, let these guys know you got a, there's one over here, Don, looks like. Um, and there, Michael. So, um, so you two, these two tables, I want you to look at, the, the, at Psalm 23. The 23rd Psalm. And I'm going to get you, you two tables um, to do John chapter 10. Make sure I've got the right. Let me get, so I've got these two and you two, that's what I've done so far. Let me get you, these two tables to do Ezekiel 34. Yeah, that's it. Um... Pretty much just the first 10 verses there. Ezekiel 34. And then 1 Peter 5. I want you guys to look at 1 Peter 5. And so here's what I want you to come, what you want you to look at those. Um, I want you to look at those, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to come up with some traits, your tables to come up with some traits of what a shepherd, a biblical shepherd is. So each table needs to create a list. Somebody can be note taker or whatever, but y'all create lists of the traits you see in those in that passage I assigned to you guys. All right. Ready to go. Even if it's naked. <laughs> All right, y'all about done? All right. Let's start creating a, uh, let's create a master list here. Somebody going to, somebody able to take down everybody's ideas? I mean, I guess David will up on the screen, but somebody write those down. Okay, good. The qualities of a shepherd, the biblical qualities of a shepherd from these four passages in particular. So shepherding is the metaphor used primarily for disciple-making um, all through Scripture. So the shepherding is, is the picture that's used, that when you shepherd somebody, you are teaching them to do what you do, go where you go, guiding them through that process. Um, when we are instructed to shepherd other people, that obviously one of the main concepts of shepherding is intentionality. So what do you have? What did you find some from, from the shepherds? Go for it. The, the shepherd knows what you need. Okay. Okay, so he knows what you need. Right. Okay, so he knows what you need and he guides you to that, whatever that is. Okay, good. Those are two big ones. Yes. Okay, so he seeks out the sheep. Okay, good. It's, a, it's not a passive activity. This is one of the interesting things that even in churches that do discipleship, which by the way, the, like the first 
four or five churches I was a part of, and including the first two churches I worked at, I did not even, I'd never heard the term discipleship. And so, um, which is just staggering to me now to think back on that, but um, even in churches that do discipleship, typically how is that done? How does the discipleship relationship created? Somebody comes to you and says, hey, will you disciple me? Or they come to talk with you. Or it's through a Bible study type setting or something like that. Who wants to be discipled? Well, instead of, which I think this passage teaches, and by the way, Jesus models, is that what Jesus did? What Jesus did is walk down the shore of the Sea of Galilee and did what? Hey, you, follow me. Hey, you, follow me. I think that's the correct picture. Isn't it interesting that for some reason we've decided, I think it's because of this false humility kind of thing, that we're worried what someone's going to say if we go to them and say, I, I think you need to spend some time with me. I, I think I've got something to teach you. I want to get some time with you to help you learn and grow. And we're always afraid of that. We're afraid people are going to be like, really? What? I mean, you can always give them a way out. Like, if, if you would like to, I would, I would be interested in doing this. It's, it's kind of like, it feels weirdly like a date or something maybe. But, but instead, what we do is we ask the less spiritually mature person to initiate that conversation. That doesn't seem wise. I think that's part of why it doesn't happen. It's that we need to be, as disciple makers, we need to be on the lookout, listening to God's Spirit guide us and looking. And so I've gotten up the guts three or four times to do that. I'm telling you, even as a professional Christian, that is not an easy conversation. But, it is a, but it's been amazing the three or four times that I've gotten up the guts and said, like, you know what, I really feel like I probably need to spend a season of time with you. And then come alongside you. Every single time, the response has been incredibly positive. It's hard, to, it's hard to feel insulted when someone says, hey, I'd like to come invest in you. Most of us know we need that. So, really encourage that. The, the, the shepherd seeks the sheep. Okay, good. What else? Okay. Okay, so he knows them. They know him. That's, they know the sound of his voice. That's one of the amazing pictures in the Bible that if you didn't know this, I'll do this quickly, but the way they tended sheep in the Middle East still is, by the way, that, that they have a sheep fold and the sheep are all at night so that all the shepherds don't have to be awake all night every night. They all bring their sheep to this giant pen and they, they get their sheep in the giant pen and they close the pen and there's a gate in the pen and there's walls around it. This fits with John 10 perfectly. Thieves come in other ways. The shepherds only come in through the front gate. And so he says, and my sheep know the sound of my voice. What that meant was in the morning when the shepherd got up, he would come and walk through the sheep pen, the sheepfold, singing or talking. And the sheep that were his sheep would stand up and start following him out. Because they knew the sound of his voice. And he knew them. These are my sheep. Which, which is amazing to me because I think sheep all look alike. Um, that's an amazing picture. It's also part of why, by the way, the senior pastor of a church that's more than about 100 people cannot shepherd everybody in the church. There's no way. Even if I wasn't terrible at knowing people's names, I still would not know everyone's names in this church. I don't know that, I mean, unless you're one of those kind of trickster type people who that's your one great skill is knowing names. I don't, I don't. See how you'd ever do it. That's why we, we to see the, the lead pastor as the only shepherd, I mean, that's, 
wrong. It's out of date. It's unbiblical. It's wrong. I don't wear a big pointy hat. You don't need me to sprinkle holy water on you. What you need is an, a shepherd to come alongside you that may or may not be me. So, and the more people there are is less likely to be me. Not that probably none of you are hoping for that anyway, but the, that's a, I think that's important to understand. That's why we need a church full of shepherds, of under shepherds who tend one another as well. And also, we're all sheep, by the way. We can, that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, okay, good. They know the sheep. The sheep know him. What were you saying over here? Okay, they care. They, they take care of them. They're looking out for them. Yes, they're looking out for them and looking out for their well-being. Good. What else? Okay. Okay, so now you guys read Ezekiel 34, which isn't so much about the good traits of a shepherd, is it? It's about the bad traits of a shepherd. And how does God seem to feel about the fact that his, the people he'd assigned as shepherds weren't being good shepherds to his people? Yeah, he's pretty ticked. And so one of the things that he's mad about is the fact that the shepherds are tending the sheep to serve their own needs and wants. They're not caring about the sheep at all. They care about themselves. That's a problem. God's not pleased with that. Yeah. He thinks first of the sheep. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That is a, it's one of the things that coming back to the idea of, you know, us electing a leadership board type of thing, it is easy to, for people to want to be in positions of authority because it's cool to be in a position of authority, right? I mean, for us as men, that's especially cool. I mean, it's, and, and I don't, by the way, that's not wrong. It's not wrong to feel good. First Peter says that too, doesn't it? Is it wrong to have the ambition of being an elder in the church, a leader in the church? Not at all. It's a good ambition. But it's got to be for the right reasons or it's just dangerous, right? And so, yeah, that's, that's, it's not out to self-serve. That's one of the funny things I've told people before, um, and Bobby would, would back on this, is before I came here to the church, there was, so, there was a lot of turmoil and the, the idea of, and I'm not saying that was about me, before Pike and, I, and all that, the new kind of the transitions happened, it started happening back then. But it was a, um, there'd be a lot of people who wanted to be on the leadership board or the campus ministry team at the time. Because they, they had an axe to grind, right? They had, a, they had a bone to pick, and they wanted to be in leadership to push their agenda. Or that, that was very common, and that was both, both campuses were facing that issue of what, what can, how can I get my agenda pushed? And then after a couple of years of seeing what it meant, that it just meant some late nights of hard work, and there wasn't much fun about it at all. Yeah, lots and lots of emails. Yeah, lots of emails. Mark got a lot of emails. And sometimes pretty tough conflict, that we had to battle through stuff, there was very little about it that was like, man, this is just a party, right? I mean, it, was, it wasn't cool. It wasn't fun. It wasn't. And all of a sudden, we started, once people started realizing that that's really what it means to lead, all of a sudden, those numbers of people interested narrowed and narrowed and narrowed, and, which I think is healthy. I'm glad we've got the list we've got there. We're going to lick six of these. I don't know how many we ended up with on this list, but 15. So six of them, and I mean, I'll, I think the day before the end of the nominations, no one was nominated yet, and so it was the day of the last day of the nominations that nominations came in. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of stuff. So yeah, 
but you're never self-serving. I hope you're disappointed. Good. What else? We had that um, the shepherd is a protector mm-hmm. to the point of a sacrifice. Okay. So in the John 10, 10 passage, you have this fantastic counterplay between a hireling and a shepherd. So what makes them different from one another? What's the difference between a hireling and a shepherd? Okay. Investment, personal investment, ownership. When do you tell? When you when can you tell whether someone is a is a hireling or a shepherd? In the when the, when the bad stuff hits, right? When the wolves attack, it's easy to spot the hirelings. How do you spot them? Yeah, all you can see is the backside, right? Versus the shepherd who's standing out there between the sheep and the wolves. That's that's significant. That's a good picture of that. Okay, good. What else? Right. Okay, so there's an authentic love for the sheep. The shepherd authentically sees them as some as as in this case, since it's a metaphor, people who he or she loves. Wants to see them move along, wants to see them grow. Good. Yeah. Okay, so the, uh, he knows them by the name. He knows the sheep, right? He knows them well. They know him. That's a, is that the, no, the no thing is coming up a lot. You got to be, you have to know them. And that's a, that happens from that time to get, you see why you can't microwave shepherding. There's no quick way past it. There's no easy way through it. It is a life on life relationship that you actually know what's going on with them. You know their kids' names, you know their kids' names and you know what's going on with them and you know what questions to ask and you know where they're struggling. And I mean, in a, in a close friendship, that all the friendship is is mutual shepherding, by the way. In a close friendship, that's weird. That's probably something connected weirdly. But, um, but in, a, in a close friendship, I mean, you know where they struggle. That's a, you know, I've got a couple of friendships and uh, that, and, John Redfern is one of them. Who he he knows passwords of mine that I don't know. Um, I've got I've got friendships that, you know, if I'm in counseling and and an extremely attractive, very needy woman comes in for counseling, that is the kind of woman who I would be interested in. Then there's friends who I say, hey, you know what? I I can't legally give you a name, but I just want you to be asking me about that client. I don't know which one you mean. Or that lady in the church who's trying to who scheduled an appointment with me. Y'all, y'all know which one you mean. I don't have to give you a name. You just say, so how are things going with that client? So those are, those are healthy things. They know me well enough. And we have to be known well enough to, to let that stuff be out there. This is, we all face these challenges. We're all in this together. So how do we have that conversation? Good. What else? Okay. Okay, so that one, the John 10 one, leads by example. Did any others mention leading by example? The First Peter 5 one talks about leading by example. I love, here's one of the things I love about shepherding. 
So if you had a coach growing up, how many of you had a coach that ran laps with you? I did. I had one. There's something about that, isn't there? There's something very powerful about a coach who isn't sitting while the boys run. So any, anybody from Nacogdoches? Oh, well. My coach was a crazy little Iranian guy named Fashid Nuraman. And he was, Coach Fosh, is, he's now the director of athletics, I think, in Nacogdoches ISD. But he ran with us and outran us every time. He was, I don't know how old he was. Fosh has not aged in 40 or 50 years probably. But, man, he, he, got, he had a little roadrunner tattooed on the back of his calf. I know that because he was always in front of me when we ran. I couldn't catch him. And my best day, 16, 17, 18 years old, in the prime of my life, he could outrun me every time, distance and speed. And he's a little, little bitty guy. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you know. Eight Shipley's Donuts. Burned it every day. That's the, <laughs> I had no problem getting those out of his system. That's why, see, that's why I like donuts, because Coach Fosh. I'm still trying to be like Coach Fosh. Um, good. Any others? Anything else you spotted? Okay, it's not our flock. This is, this is a... Every one of these that's going to be part of the picture is understanding that we are under shepherds. Anytime we're shepherding somebody. So as cool as it is to disciple somebody, their recognition, you are replaceable. Your job is to point them to Christ. That's really what we're doing. That's, and, and we've talked about parenting. Fathering is the, is the ultimate form of disciple-making. The ultimate form of discipleship is being a dad. Well, in that situation, that's all we're trying to do. All we're trying to do is to point our children towards God. I mean, remember when God actually, I mean, Jesus actually says at some point, you shouldn't even call someone on earth father because you have a father, he's in heaven. That's a, that's, it's a, obviously, that's a little bit of a hyperbole, but the point he's making is, I think, totally clear. There is only one real father. All of us are poor reflections of the reality. But our job is to make sure that when our kids come to the realization, oh, there's a better example of father than you. That they don't have to turn 180 degrees to find God, right? That they would look at us and go, oh, you're, well, look at that. There's, you're, you're dad, but there's a capital F father. And I want my children to be able to say like, okay, so, so this is what you've modeled for me. And here, here's the real thing. Like I want them to be able to make a small jump. I want, I want there to be like, I don't have to toss everything. I've got to add a lot more. I need a lot more men in my... That's why we need, by the way, part of why we need people discipling our sons alongside of us is because no one of us can fill in all of the paint by numbers that represent our kids, that, that represent God to our kids. We need multiple men in our lives. Some of you had terrible dads who painted in almost nothing or who had to have lots erased out. And that's the key men in your life who have stepped in and, and stood, that, stood alongside you or whatever. That's, that's huge. Any other shepherding traits?
Yes. That's right. You don't want to you don't want to be in the Ezekiel 34 situation when the over shepherd shows up because he's going to take a reckoning and it's and Ezekiel 34 is just and honestly just a little scary in my opinion. It's it's one of those where God is saying I put you people in charge and you've pretty much ruined what I told you to do. So I'm going to come make it right and it's going to start with me I don't remember the word slaughter is used in there but it's close to that. It's I'm going to start by cleaning that house. And so I don't think we're not children of wrath, so we're not, we're not terrified of God himself, but we don't want to have that conversation. All right, so that stuff in mind, here's the question for you. What is between, so that if, if, our, if our definition of discipleship here is to intentionally, to be intentionally disciple, intentionally making a relationship where we're teaching people to become like us, as we are more like Christ. That we're intentionally engaging in a relationship. In the process, people become more like us as we are more like Christ. Wherever that is, whatever that is. And whether it's clearly that I'm the disciple maker and you're the disciple, in which case, apparently I've got a lot to teach you. Or you're my disciple maker, which means you've got a lot to teach me. Those are both discipleship. Whether it's just friendship, which as I said, is only defined as mutual disciple making. I'm learning from you and you're learning from me. All of them become that, by the way, in a healthy world. This, this discipleship relationship eventually looks more and more like this. That just happens over time. Well, I've seen it where the disciple becomes the disciple. Absolutely. Well, I think the main goal, for one of the main goals of parenting is that eventually your children are discipling you. I mean, I think that's a, that, that's, you've done something right. I've done something right when my son's going to have to sit down with me someday and explain stuff to me, right? So which he already does all the time. So. Um, uh, but, so here's the question that I want you to discuss to close out our time here. Do you have those relationships now? And if you don't, what's in the way? What keeps you from having those relationships? What's in the way of, of having it, of, of, of having people who, are, who you're pouring into or of having someone who's pouring into you. So if, you, if, you got, if you've got some of those, share a little bit about that. I'd love, one, I'd love for us to know. Um, they do not hear, here's what I want you to hear. They have to be intentional. They don't have to be programmed. That's very, very different. It's not like, well, we're not, you know, we meet together and we talk about life. We're not going through a book, so I guess it's not discipleship. Maybe. And then you don't have to go through a book to be about discipleship. You don't have to be studying a specific scripture for it to be about discipleship. Um, good discipleship is about it being intentional. This is why we get together. It's so that you can learn from me and or, and or I can learn from you as we're learning from Christ. That's, that's the purpose. And you want it to grow in depth and power so that those relationships grow over time. Those are happening in the church. I will tell you, I, I, pulled, I pulled three or four men aside the second year I was here and said, I want to I, I get you to be making disciples one of them was John Keeling was really, this was really humorous. And I said, John, I want you to be, I want you to be making disciples. Like you're clear to your place. You need to be making disciples. So I want to find three or four men who could meet with you on a regular basis that you could start pouring into them. And, uh, and I said, I said, what, when would you be available for that? And John said, um, man, I'd love to do that. But, um, I've got some guys that I meet with on Thursday nights and that's really what would be my only open night. 
So I'm, I'm meeting with, and he named off three or four guys. Like, I'm meeting with them, and we're, you know, we're talking about this stuff. So I don't know that I can do any disciple-making stuff right now because, like, John, that's, apparently you're doing disciple-making stuff right now. Like, that's, that was it. You just nailed it. That's, ex- that's what I was hoping you would do. You're doing it. Well, a number of the men I called were doing it, which is exactly, it doesn't need to be like we need to check in with Chris or someone on staff to make sure that we're allowed to make disciples. And No, that's ridiculous. Absolutely not. If you want help, if you need to, that's what I want us to find out at your table right now for you to say like, you know what, this is what would really help. This is the resource that would make the difference. This is the encouragement that I would need. This is the whatever. And by the way, if it is, I'd have to know some people in order to be able to do that. I can't do anything for you. That's up to you. Like a number of our excuses are just going to be excuses. And as men, we can speak that, right? Well, I don't have any relationships like that in this church. Well, somehow others do. So like, apparently it's possible. So let's figure out what's, what's particular in your situation that's keeping that from happening. Let's figure it out. That's the, um, when, my, you know, when one of my kids will say, I didn't, I didn't know to turn in that paper. Like, well, did the teacher tell you to turn in the paper? No, no, no one heard her say to turn in the paper. So did anyone turn in the paper? Well, like half the class. So they just like supernaturally knew to turn in the paper? Like how did, how did they know to turn in the paper? Like I'm guessing that the problem was not the teacher. So, so in the same way, that's my encouragement. What is in the way? And then what can we do about it? So we'll, we'll end our time tonight with that and start our time next time with that same question. So y'all, y'all spend about five minutes. Go ahead and start talking about what do you have that's there? What, do you, what, do you, what, would, need, what would you need to make it happen? What's in the way? Wherever you go with it, that, that kind of stuff. Go for it. And I'll close out our time in about five, ten minutes, and we'll pray. All righty, men. Let's break. And, and we don't need to do anything to tables and stuff, do we, John? Okay, we're good. And I think... I think Dean with D now this weekend. I don't think we need to do anything for now, unless you know otherwise. Yeah. Okay. So just take get rid of the tables. We're probably good. That's probably good. Okay. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these men. It's my prayer that every one of these men um, knows you. And um, in knowing you and being known by you perfectly, that we begin to model that by knowing each other, knowing a little bit about each other. Um, Lord, that we would find a person or two or three or four to know very well, to know what the sins they struggle with and what stupid and ridiculous and evil and perverse mindsets that we might have. God, the, the predator-prey ways that we engage with the world or the competitive things or the jealous things or the fear-based things or the angry things that, um, Lord, are, are just expressions of our flesh. I pray that we will know one another and that the Jesus Christ, through the power of your Holy Spirit in me, will impact the Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit in them and that we be conformed to his image through that sanctification process. Lord, we're so grateful that through the power of your Spirit, modeled by you, we get to be involved in the sanctification process, the holy making process of each other. What a great gift.
But God, we are scared to do it. We're too easily distracted. Um, we're too competitive. We're too busy. We're too passive. We're full of excuses, Lord, all of us. It's not going to come naturally to any of us. It's a discipline that we appreciate or we don't appreciate, but it's not going to come naturally, Lord. And the natural tendency will always be through our flesh to be just passive. Lord, I believe that either now or in the future, you've given every one of these men something that would impact other men in your church if they would pass it along. So, Lord, I pray that we would follow others as they follow you and that you would help us to take what we are taught and to pass it along to other faithful men and women and then hopefully, Lord, that they would then pass it on to others. And just as your gospel has been spread through the power of that discipleship for a couple of thousand years, it will continue. Lord, I pray there will be people who know that we have been with your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. All right, so we need tables up, but chairs can stay.